What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 42 of the Talking Chop Podcast. My name is Brad Rowland. I'll be your host, as always, and joining me today uh, is a uh, another, I guess I guess he's a, a, a repeat guest uh, for the first time. He was visited once time before. His name is Joe Lucia. What's up, man? How are you doing, Brad? And yes, I guess I am a recurring guest now since it's my second time up. You've crossed the threshold. I'm, I'm proud of you for coming back on. No, I, I appreciate I appreciate you doing this as always. And uh, you can find Joe at Awful Announcing and the Comeback and all these different places around the internet. And also, you know, one of the authoritative voices on the Atlanta Braves. Is that right? I guess I should say that. Yeah, I mean, I've been around long enough, so I feel like I have some kind of pull in the blogosphere, I guess you could say. Absolutely. Uh, well, the big topic of conversation this week, the big news item, was the uh, choice to sign Sean Rodriguez, a super utility guy, uh, two years and $11.5 million for the Braves. I'm just going to tee you up for this one. What did you think of this contract? Uh, I can, We'll explain, I guess, to people, to people that actually somehow missed this while they were traveling some more about Rodriguez. But what were your initial thoughts on this one? You know, when I first saw it, I was really confused. I'm like, huh, that's, that's kind of strange. And then I dug into it a little bit. And, I mean, the money's not excessive. It's only two years. And uh, I want to say $11.5 million, not a lot of money in this day and age. He's a guy that literally can play any position on the field except pitcher, catcher. He's a strong right-handed bat. And thinking about it now, the Braves had so few good options off the bench last year that even if he's just a league average hitter, he'll be a huge upgrade over the guys like uh, Daniel Castro and Brandon Snyder and Chase Darneau. Yeah, I think uh, that's definitely a big, big, big thing to point out. Even as much as I love Daniel Castro, as people all will know that listen to this podcast, uh, <laughs> but no, Rodriguez, the money actually was smaller than I thought he would sign for because he had uh, what what I would term as a career year in 2016. He hit 18 home runs, which was an easily a career high, had an OPS north of 850, which I think are both probably unsustainable considering it was you know kind of career highs across the board for him. The first time in his career, he had a WRC plus above 100. But this is a guy who's always hit lefties and can play everywhere, as you said. And, you know, that's, you know, you think about a lot of people in the Braves country, at least that I saw, were like, oh, that seems like a lot of money. And my first thought was, that's pretty cheap. Yeah, I mean, they they have the money to play with. It's not it's not as if they're pushing the payroll above $120 million right now. And uh, I don't think it's that excessive in the long run because, I mean, you see guys like this get money that's excessive all the time. And I mean, it's only a two year deal. It's a lot like the Dickie and Cologne deals short term. So, I mean, okay, you're bumping the payroll up this year and next season. What's the big deal? It doesn't really matter to me in the long run that the Braves are giving him maybe, maybe a tad bit too much money, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, he's 31 years old. Uh, I guess the primary value is from his, his positional flexibility, but I guess the big question uh, I know that I've gotten, I'm sure you've gotten already on this, is what kind of role is he going to play? Is there a chance he's a, a full-time starter in a way that uh, they ha- have him get till 400-plus at-bats kind of playing playing all over the place? Do you see him being uh, more of a just a fill-in guy that gets you know less exposure but sort of a solid bench, a solid bench back and can do more often, do a bunch of things? But you know, I guess the, the question is where he starts and where he finishes when it comes to uh, what kind of role he's going to play. I think it depends on whether or not the team decides to pursue another second base or third base option this offseason, or if they're just going to roll with Peterson and Garcia coming into the year. If if they do try to just go with what they have right now, I think you can see Rodriguez kind of 
getting three or four starts a week between those two positions and maybe filling in in the outfield one day a week and also coming in as a late-game defensive replacement either for uh, Matt Kemp, uh, one of the two, Peterson or uh, Garcia. He's a guy who can fill any type of role on this team. I don't think he's going to be like a strict platoon. Like he only plays against lefties and -and so-and-so only plays against righties. But I think he's a guy that he can go in the super sub role where he's starting a bunch of positions each week, or he could just be a regular bench guy, or he could be a hard platoon guy. I think it's going to end up being a situation where he is starting a decent amount and will end up around maybe 300 at bats on the season. Yeah. I think for me at this point, it would surprise me if they added another guy second or third because of this move. Uh, and the fact that you also have Albies uh, hanging hanging in the wind there at second base. So, like, I mean, and, and Ruiz, if you wanted to go for another third base option, if you want to do that down the line, it would surprise me now if they did something else there. But I'm with you. That that would certainly affect his role. And because he can play the outfield, uh, this kind of eliminates the the, uh, the reason to have a fifth outfielder, uh, a pure outfielder on your roster if you have Rodriguez, because he can play there uh, and, play, and play there well, um, in addition to what we think is probably going to be Malik's and the three starters. Um I guess, I don't know, it's weird because a lot of people talked about how he's uh, sort of a, a specialist at hitting left-handed pitching, but he's actually gotten a lot better hitting right-handers recently, about a 736 OPS over the last three seasons, I guess, right-handed pitching. Like, he's no longer just a straight guy who only hits left-handers. Not a great, like, lights-out hitter against righties, but certainly a guy that you could cert- that you can play and not have to limit to a strict platoon, like you said. So, I, I don't know, it's weird for me. Like, who do you think gets more gets more uh, play, play appearances this season uh, Albies or Sean Rodriguez? I absolutely think it's Sean Rodriguez. Me I don't. <laughs> I don't think Albies is really ready at this point. Still, he's he's very young, and the Braves seem to be they seem to be moving him along a lot slower than we what we thought they were going to be moving him uh, at the beginning of last year when they kind of aggressively promoted him to AAA, then knocked him back down to Double A. I think they kind of learned their lesson with that, and they'll just uh, they'll just let him stay in Gwinnett for a good chunk of the season, unless unless he's hitting like. 360 in the middle of June, then he might get the call. Yeah, man, he's still so young. Like it's, I think people are going to be disappointed if he doesn't come up just because of how much hype and you know how much uh, the Braves, as you said, were moving him quickly. But the guy's still 19 years old as we record this. Uh, there's no shame in not being not being in the majors when you're 20. Um, and because now you know, I think Peterson's a guy who is perennially underrated in my opinion. Not not a great player by any means, but not an embarrassing option at second base. And now with Rodriguez as well. You can certainly get by without Albies, and there's uh, kind of like you said, there's no reason to push him unless he's just knocking the cover off the ball in Gwinnett. Uh, I just think I really asked you that question, uh, hoping you would agree with me on that, and I think it's pretty easy answer to say it's Rodriguez. I just think I think a lot of the fans are kind of expecting more out of Albies this year than I know I am. Um, but I wanted to, this is another reminder to me. The signing was really another reminder to me that uh, Albies is not going to be in this team's plans early on because Peterson's still on this team and, uh, you know, barring a shock, is going to be in the lineup uh, opening day at second base unless they go with Rodriguez. It's one of those two guys. And uh, with, with, with that out of the way, they don't really need to bring Albies up to uh, be a bit player on this team. I think he's going to be in Gwinnett for uh, more than a little while. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. There's no like like we've both been saying. There's no reason to really push him, and uh, they won't push him. They they were aggressive with Swanson because of his age and the experience level he was playing and coming out of the SEC. But they don't need to do that with Albies. And uh, I mean, he's not going to be like 25 next season, where it's like now or never. 
like we've seen with some situations in the Braves where they kind of let some prospects linger a little too long. With him, there's still plenty of time. Yeah, I mean, he'll be 20 all season, which is uh, still crazy young, unless you're like Rafael Fercal or Andrew Jones or something. Uh, that's that's crazy, crazy, crazy young. Uh, last thing before we move off of Rodriguez, is there any chance that he takes over as the full-time guy at third base at some point? Like if he's, if he's good and Garcia flames out or, you know, Ruiz isn't ready, something like that. Is there, is that, is there anything, any chance of that happening in your, in your mind? I don't think there's a huge chance, but uh, anything really can happen. I, I doubt it will, but it would not surprise me if it did eventually just because, I mean, I don't know who the real Adonis Garcia is. I don't know who the real Rio Ruiz is. And Rodriguez might just be the best option come May or June. I think he's the best option now, but it's this—it's the problem of if you only play him thir- at third, you take away a lot of his uh, a lot of his excess value of just being able to play everywhere. Uh, I think if you ask me who would be better at third base uh, if they only did that this season between Garcia and Rodriguez, Rodriguez is the right answer. Uh, it's just the fact that he can do so much else that you almost don't want to put pigeonhole him there. And for whatever reason, the Braves seem invested in the in Adonis Garcia uh, in a way that I wouldn't be, but they seem to like him. Um, and we'll see how that goes under, under Snicker this year, uh, and with whatever the front office decides to do with Rio with Rio Ruiz early on. But uh, I think Rodriguez would be better, honestly. But there's there's a lot of other things that he can do that uh, would be limited if he played the third base every day. Yeah, I mean, he he would be a better third base option, but he's more valuable kind of in that super utility role because if you didn't have him uh, coming off the bench and you had Garcia essentially as the backup guy coming off the bench or whatever, I mean, that would negate the minimal value that Garcia has at this point too. So uh, using Rodriguez as just kind of that guy who can fill in wherever, I think that would end up working out for the best long term. Yeah, we're on the same page with that one for sure. Uh, a good signing, though, one that I liked, and I want to—we obviously wanted to talk about that. It was the biggest uh, headline of the of the week, and really the only thing that actually happened in Braves country this week. Uh, basically, everything else. It was Thanksgiving. It was kind of a slow week um, for the Braves. And obviously, the Rodriguez news broke on Thanksgiving, which was a, a bit of a nice uh, surprise for those of us that have to cover the team because nothing usually happens at that time of year. But uh, aside from that, there's a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. Things we've kind of talked about a little bit. On the, on the show, but I wanted to get your opinion, even though I, I, I kind of know your opinion from some stuff you've written and tweeted about this, but not everybody does. Um, first, I wanted to go with um, kind of where are you at with the rumors about Chris Sale and Chris Archer and sort of the high-end pitching stuff. Uh, the Braves obviously made the couple of moves to sign um, some veterans in R.A. Dickey and Bartolo Colon. But uh, the, rot- the rotation could still be better, and it's been a lot. It's been a lot quieter lately on the sale on Archer and Sonny Gray front, as it was. Uh, there was a little bit of that initial burst of uh, rumor stuff. But uh, wanted to see where you stand on, on the uh, pursuit of either one of these guys in a vacuum, and uh, whether it's something you would do uh, right now if you're the Braves. If they're not at least checking in on them, they're not doing their jobs properly. Which I mean, I I think they are at least you know calling and asking what it would take and maybe not having active negotiations, but at least finding out what they would need to give up. And in terms of actually going all out to acquire one of these guys, I mean, it really depends on which player it would be and who you're giving up because these three players aren't created equal. Gray, Sale, and Archer, I mean, they're the three best pitching chips on the market but they're not the same guy. You have Archer, the guy who has tons of control and probably still has some upside left and is signed cheaply. You have Sale, the veteran who 
may or may not have some clubhouse issues. He signed for the most money. And then you have Gray, who is kind of – I would consider him the buy-low guy. He has also three years of control, three years of ARB left. He's also coming off a down year, so I'm not sure, like, if that is the new normal for him or if he'll bounce back again next season. All three of them would take a bounty of prospects, but they wouldn't take the same prospects based on where the Rays, A's, and White Sox are. So, I mean, it's a situation where it's really just finding out who the best fit is for this team long term. I think Archer is the guy who's the best fit because of his youth and how much control he has. But if the team really wants to compete this year or next year, 2017 or 2018, Sale would be the guy I think they would go for. I really don't think Sonny Gray is a guy the team is going to end up pursuing. Yeah, I'm with you on Gray. I mean, he's obviously a solid guy, but I think it's been it's been and admittedly it's been more focused, at least in the rumor mill, on Sale and Archer. I'm with you all the way on the fact that you know Sale will be the more all-in choice now, whereas Archer is kind of more in line with this team's development curve, um, being that he's under control for five more years. That's that's a hugely valuable thing, especially because it's it's basically on a, uh, a pretty steep discount, uh, a la what you're getting from Julio Tehran right now. Uh, Archer is not as good of a pitcher as Chris Sale. I think we both know that. But um, kind of the, the bounty is different, and, and what you're looking for in return if you're Tampa Bay and Chicago is very different. There was the one uh, sort of fake trade proposed this week from uh, MLB.com, and uh, admittedly, there, this is a, a, a manufactured thing for a story, so I didn't want to crap on it uh, too much here, but a lot of Braves fans were asking uh, me and others at Talking Shop whether we would do that trade. It was basically uh, Chris Sale for Ozzie Albies, Sean Newcomb, Austin Riley, Matt Whistler, and Lucas Sims. Uh, that seemed really light to me, but I was wondering what you thought about that uh, that sort of proposal as a baseline as to whether uh, that kind of package would be enough to get it done, whether, whether it would be too much, too little, and whether like the Braves would be willing to do that kind of package for one of these guys. That's insanely light, and I think it is something the team would do. Yeah. Because of those, I believe, five players you mentioned, uh, only three of them are really prospects in uh, Newcomb, Albies, and uh, Riley. I, I don't think of Whistler as much of a prospect anymore. He's he's just kind of a guy in no man's land. Is he a major league starter? He hasn't shown that he's a major league starter so far. And uh, Lucas Sims' stock has dropped from where it was, and I'm not sure if he's a guy that can even be a number three piece in a trade like this. So I think that is a very light deal, but... I think that's something that would be more used to get a guy like Gray, but even then I think it's a little heavy for Gray. Maybe pull out one of the uh, middle-of-the-road guys like uh, Sims and that deal. But uh, for Sailor Archer, that's definitely not going to be enough to get it done. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of fans, and I, I've kind of been driving this point home the last couple of weeks on the podcast, but I think it's worth saying again, a lot of fans don't really you know, figure out can't really see how much it's going to take to get a guy like Chris Sale. Like you throw out a package that would be basically what I just said, plus another another one or two of your top ten guys, and fans you know freak out about the about the amount of stuff you're going to have to get up. And it's like, hey guys, uh, Chris Sale is really good and really cheap, and so is Chris Archer. Like these guys are available uh, in, in quotation marks, but they're only available if, if these teams get a, a king's ransom for them. And I try to point to, I mean, I think the, the Diamondbacks Swanson deal is the one that we kind of make fun of. And that was obviously an overpay by Arizona. But that kind of speaks to what it takes to get stuff done. I mean, that was, I think everybody agreed at the time it was an overpay. But, you know, co- going into that, if you, if you, if you, uh, if you kind of, uh, 
I don't know, put out put out a deal, something like that, with that with those three guys, it would have gotten laughed at. But at the same time, like, do the Braves take two of those guys? They might have, but you know, Shelby Miller's not Chris Sale, and Shelby Miller's not Chris Archer even. Um, so it's going to be it's going to take a lot more than fans want to believe. I think is the overarching takeaway because we're talking about how that's light, and a lot of fans are like, "Oh, that's it's too much. I don't, don't want to give away five guys." And it's like, guys, it's going to take. Unless, it, unless, it, unless it's like your top three guys, it's going to take five, six, seven quality guys to get one of these guys done. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to just take this poo-poo platter of prospects that teams are just going to slap together and say, oh, well, there's three top 20 guys in this trade. We have to do it. It doesn't really work like that anymore. And I think a lot of Braves fans are kind of put off by the Adam Wainwright trade. What was that, 12 years ago to get J.D. Drew? I mean, Wainwright, of course, <laughs> turned into this – fantastic pitcher but remember i think it was the next winner the braves traded three really players who didn't have much of a career at all for tim hudson and it's not as if dan meyer was some really bad prospect or throw and he was he was a pretty highly regarded guy and he just ended up not doing anything so it's not as if these prospect trades always go bust but at the same time, it's it's not as if you're giving up these future superstars that are guaranteed slam dunks in every deal. Look at the Miguel Cabrera trade between the Marlins and Tigers from, oh gosh, I want to say close to 10 years ago. Is that Cameron, Cameron Mabin and Andrew Miller? Was it that, that trade? It was Cameron Mabin, Andrew Miller, and a whole bunch of junk yep. for Miguel Cabrera. And the thing is, Miller and Maben became serviceable Major League players, but they didn't become serviceable Major League players for the Marlins. They became that way years down the line after the Marlins already punted on them. So it's not as if they were critical parts of the Marlins' long-term success or long-term future. It took some pretty significant maneuvering years down the line for them to even become just not even superstars, just regulars, which is, is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, you know, the Braves have been on kind of on both sides of these kind of trades. Obviously, the one with uh, Swanson and Enciarte for Miller looks like a great trade. Uh, the one the one with Wainwright going the other way looks like a bad trade. Obviously, the Mark Teixeira deal is what people talk about all the time with uh, kind of giving up King's ransom for a guy with uh, very little control. That didn't work out very well. But the Hudson one was a big-time win. So it's kind of the Braves are on all sides of this thing. We've seen it go bad and go well. But I think it's just important to note that how much you're going to have to give up and how much you honestly would have – I mean, I would give up. It's not like if, – if, if, the, uh, if the White Sox called and offered that, con- that trade that we just talked about, it would probably take about five minutes for Coppin to accept that trade, I think. I can't imagine it would take him very long to uh, sign me up for that, even if they had to throw in another guy. It's just one of those things where it's a delicate balance. Uh, you're talking about there's, there's always some risk involved. You're going to give away a guy um, who, who breaks into something crazy. But for the most part, the guys who the Braves are actually willing to move on from, which is basically everybody except for Swanson and maybe Kevin Maiton, most of those guys don't have the uber elite upside. I think it's uh, pretty safe. Listen, this is me talking, so maybe you disagree, but I don't think Ozzy Albee's upside is that crazy. Uh, Sean Newcomb the same way. I mean, those guys could be good major leaguers if everything goes right, if everything goes right. But you're not giving up the Adam Wainwright level of upside guy unless you're including a guy that I don't think they're, I don't think they're going to include. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Newcomb is going to be a guy who has like that middle-of-the-road upside. I think he's either a future star or a guy who ends up in the bullpen. There's not, there's not much middle ground with him because of his skill set. And as for Albies, I mean, 
unless he's hitting for that high average, there's really not much else there. He doesn't hit for a lot of power. He doesn't walk a lot. What is that as a second baseman? It's it's a really strange skill set. If he's hitting like 270, 280 with 30 walks a year and three homers, what kind of player is that? That That's not even Placido Polanco. Yeah, and that's obviously a damning thing to say, but like I, I've been on team uh, team trade for Ozzy Albies um, for about the last I don't know six months or so. It's not that I don't think he, that he can be a productive player. I just think his value uh, to the Braves is lower than it would be to some other teams. If if, if no team thinks that he can play shortstop long term, that might bump his value up for that team versus the Braves, where he's clearly not going to be playing shortstop anytime soon. Plus, in addition to the offensive concerns that you just voiced, that I definitely agree with. Uh, that kind of places it in a, in a spot where I would be more than willing to trade Albies for, you know, you know, you, you, you're not going to give the guy the guy away because he's he's uh, your closest to the majors prospect. Uh, he's uh, you know with within reason, you know, number one, two or three prospect in your system. So you're not going to give the guy away. But I think if there's a time to trade him, this is, this would probably be a pretty good time considering he's still so young, but his value is so high at least uh, in terms of what we, what we what we can see on on, on the public sphere. Uh, not knowing what team is value in him uh, necessarily, but uh, all the rankings and things like that, you can kind of see that Albies is a highly placed guy because of his age, because of his speed, all those things. But the offense is a concern for me long term. Just a how up. I mean, if if he goes out and hits three ten every year, then yeah, the guy can play. But if he hits, as you said, if he settles in that on that high two, uh, the high two hundreds, you know, two eighty two ninety with you know below average walks and no power, that's not that's not great. Yeah, and the thing about him is I think his value as a prospect is at its high or pretty close to at its high right now. I mean, next season, if he does what he did last year in uh, Mississippi, if he does that in Gwinnett this season, I mean, his stock isn't really going to get much higher because all it's going to prove is that, okay, we know he can do that against these 4A type of pitchers. If he struggles, which I think a lot of us expect him to, well, then the questions about his offensive value come back. And we start looking at this as a guy who might not be able to play every day. Is he a bench option? Can he hit enough to play 150 games a year? And if you're trying to make that guy the centerpiece of a deal, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I don't either. And hopefully, you know, some some team somewhere overvalues Obbies in a way that I think a lot of fans are right now, and just kind of sees you know a borderline star in him. I, I don't see that. Um, but maybe if the team's looking for a shortstop in the future and thinks that he can be that, then that's great. And that means that his value somewhere else is higher uh, than his value is to the Braves. And that's the time. That's that's the time you want to move that guy, especially at his age. And like you said, if he has even a, just a pretty good season this year, his stock's going to fall. I mean, it's, it is what it is. He's going to have to light the, light the world on fire unless he reaches the, the big leagues and plays well uh, this year. Uh, if, he, if, he, if he's in the Myers at Gwinnett, he's going to have to just absolutely kill in order to keep his stock as high as it is right now, at least from what we know about that. And that just doesn't seem super likely. So might be a good time to move on from Ozzy. Uh, before we get off the pitchers, though, I wanted to ask you, if, if nothing else happens in the rotation – uh, the fifth starter spot becomes super interesting, as I think we can probably agree that uh, Tehran, Mike Fultonavich, and the two veterans uh, kind of open camp with four spots. That fifth spot, though, becomes, uh, you know, interesting is an interesting word for it, I guess, because uh, it's interesting to people like you and me who are diehards of this team, but you, a lot of people, I think, nationally would see Matt Whistler, Aaron Blair, Josh Coleman, and kind of be like, oh, that's nothing to be excited about. Uh, so wh- what are we looking at at fifth starter uh, if nothing else happens in the rotation? 
Kolmenter intrigues me as a possible fifth starter, long reliever kind of guy. He's not someone that I remember. Keep I forget he's on the team still, even though he just agreed to the one year deal to avoid ARB. <laughs> he's a guy who I always just keep leaving out of my memory when I'm going through the possible options for fifth starter with him and Whistler and Blair and maybe even like John Gant. Who knows? Yeah, I, think can, I love John Gant. It's my guy. I think, so. I, I think we can count guys like Williams Perez and Tyrell Jenkins. Oh. Joel De La Cruz. Please I, don't no. think gonna, I don't think we're going to see those guys in the fifth starter role at all this year. I also think you could see some uh, veteran signed uh, minor league deals with invites of spring camp, like uh, like with Julius Chassin last year, who really came onto the scene, had a great first six starts, and got dumped on the Angels for something of value which still stuns me i mean they got lucas harrell for three or four starts and he performed well and was moved same with bud norris who actually signed a guaranteed money deal in the offseason i still think someone like that could be in the card for the fifth starter job they got travis demerit for lucas harrell that actually happened that deal and, happened still and dario alvarez don't forget about i him. understand but still i mean it's that's ridiculous anyway sorry it's, it's insane to me that's it like you you sign a guy literally off the the scrap heap as a minor league free agent and get like an actual legitimate prospect for him. It's incredible. I, oh God, I love it. That's what they need <laughs> to do again this year. Just, just keep signing guys like that, have a good first month and then trade them for prospects. It would be beautiful. That's not a bad game plan. I just think, you know, there are a bunch of names. I'm really hoping that the, uh, the uh, smorgasbord that you mentioned with Perez and Jenkins are not a factor here. And, you know, if that's the case, you're looking at Cole Mentor, Blair, and Whistler as your three guys. I would imagine Whistler has the inside track if there was one, just because he's been in the rotation the last couple of years. But they were clearly not terribly happy with Whistler, judging by, you know, kind of reading between the lines and some comments after the year from the front office. Uh, they were not super pleased with Whistler, uh, at least, in, and, and that's part of the reason why, why, why Roger McDowell is not around anymore. Uh, Whistler, not just Whistler, but just, you know the young pitchers, and he was one of the more prominent ones. Um, so maybe not in the inside track. I don't know. Uh, if I if I make you pick a guy that, that becomes the fifth starter on opening day, who would you go with in the current? Uh, if we just limit it to the current options, who would you think it is? And you can obviously tell me that it, you're not you're not really uh, convinced either way here. Right now, I mean, before a pitch has been thrown in spring training. Yeah, in, no, in November, we're, Joe. what, three months away from yes. pitchers and catchers reporting still. Uh, I think Cole Metzer is going to be the guy. He, he's got major league experience. He's getting guaranteed money this year. I'm pretty sure he's out of options. So he's someone I think the Braves would look to give every chance to fail at that fifth starter job. But deep down, I really think the fifth starter for most of the season is going to be someone not currently in the organization. Be it one of the aces that we were talking about before or a more middle-of-the-road free agent guy, not that there's any of them really left, or one of these veterans just looking to latch on. I think someone outside of the organization right now has the fifth most starts on the team when it's all said and done at this time next year. And that doesn't sound crazy to me at all, honestly. I think that will certainly ruffle the feathers of some Aaron Blair and Matt Whistler fans out there. But, uh, you know, neither guy has been particularly impressive. Are you ready? To, I mean, I guess I want to ask you about Aaron Blair because he's the guy we probably talk about less 
on the show between Whistler and Blair. Is Blair a guy who you still think of as a prospect, or are you kind of uh, lumping him in with guys who are uh, at, at, the, at the point of, of their career where if you get anything out of it, it's, it's kind of a positive at this point? Oh, I think he's still a prospect. He he didn't have much of a chance to prove himself last year in the majors, and when he did, he was just he was just terrible during that brief audition he got. I think he deserves another extended chance, but the way he kind of got jerked around last year, I don't think that was fair to him. Whereas someone like Whistler did have an extended period in the rotation, both last year and in 2015. Blair never really got that long extended chance for a good two or three months. So I don't I don't think it's fair to completely write him off yet, whereas where you might with someone like a Whistler or a Williams Perez or a guy like that. Yeah, and Blair's only twenty four also, which I think people think because he was billed as the guy who was super major league ready in that trade um, that he's older than he is. He's only 24. That's not. I mean, he'll be 25 during next during next season. Um, but it's not like he's over the hill. And his stuff, you know, Whistler and Blair are the same age. But Whistler's now had a, you know two years to sort of prove that he's not terribly impressive. Um, whereas Blair hasn't, as you mentioned, and the way they treated him was not not ideal for his development. And I think Blair's just raw stuff is better. He was more of a prospect than Whistler. Um, and you know that kind of leads me to believe that he could be something. Uh, I'll be interested to see what he does this year, especially if he's not in the rotation on opening day, which I think is you know more likely than not that he won't be in the rotation. Uh, a full year at AAA, see how that goes, and if obviously if they get an injury or two, he could pop up and be in the rotation uh, mid-season. But uh, with guys like Newcomb coming as well, it's going to be interesting to kind of follow where these guys go, because now, now that they actually have some veterans who are capable in the rotation, they don't have to throw these guys out there if they're not ready to throw them out there, and uh, it might, that might be better for their overall development, obviously, and in, in, in conjunction with the fact that the Braves are ma- made some coaching hires uh, that were certainly more concerned with development than Roger McDowell. Yeah, that's true. And also in regards to the bullpen, like the back end of that bullpen is kind of getting locked down. We have uh, three or four relievers we know are going to be on the team next year locked into their roles. So that really leaves only a couple spots. And if you're getting more innings out of that rotation, you're going to have to rely less on the the Gwinnett shuttle, as I like to term it. And you can get (laughs) more guys just regular – like two or three innings out of that bullpen, like whoever doesn't win that rotation spot between Whistler and Blair and Colmets or whomever, I could see one of them going in the bullpen to see if it would work out there. I think they try to put Jenkins in the bullpen to see if they can really wring anything out of that because his stint in the rotation last year was something of a disaster. And a lot of the soft tossers, I don't think they have much of a, a future in the pen. John Gant did show me a little bit of something out of the pen last year, so he might be an option for a, a conversion to relief, a relief role. So that's another place you got to also look at. For sure, and with Jenkins, I've long thought he was going to be a reliever, if anything. So giving him a full year to do that would be advisable in my mind. Uh, they threw him in the bullpen last year, as you said. Um, you know, kind of. Um, Hastily in AAA, um, kind of kind of overnight they said, "Oh, by the way, Tyrell, you're in the bullpen." Uh, now I think coming into the year, I think it might be a good idea to go ahead and just kind of prep him for that role and see if it can work. Because if it doesn't work there, it's never going to work. Um, the start the strikeout to walk stuff. His for as, as good as his stuff can look, it's just, it's just never played as a starter. So maybe he'll be one of those guys that the light comes on in a different role, and that's kind of the only hope in getting some value 
out of that. But yeah, keeping an eye on the bullpen is always interesting because we haven't, we haven't talked a ton about it because it's always the most volatile thing. But your, your point is valid that you know three or four guys are locked in, and that's kind of more than you all. I guess it's probably more than average of what you would lock in in November as to what a bullpen is going to look like. So less spots available than usual. Yeah, I mean, last year when we came into the season, it was really just Johnson, Vizcaino, and even with Vizcaino, you didn't know really what you were getting out of him after all the injuries, and uh, Johnson was coming off of a really kind of a hit-and-miss season where he was bouncing around a little bit after the Braves traded him to the Dodgers, and uh, there were a lot of question marks. This year, there are fewer question marks, which is obviously a good thing, and I I wouldn't be shocked if the Braves at least were uh, at least taking nibbles on guys like Mauricio Cabrera and Ian Kroll after the seasons they had, just to see if they could squeeze a little extra value out of those guys instead of having them possibly go boom. Yeah, it's always uh, it's pitching is always fickle, and you know it's weird to talk about November. I know that's I'm putting on the spot with a lot of this stuff. It's just uh, it's always t- it's tough to peg down roles and things like that in November, not knowing what's going to happen because it's almost a certainty that they're going to add another bullpen arm or two because that's just, that's just what happens. Guys guys latch on places, especially in the bullpen, even probably more so than the rotation. Even um, you know during spring training, right before spring training, even at the end of spring training, they could be adding guys for those uh, auxiliary roles and uh, having. More options is good, though, and the Braves do have a ton of them. Uh, even if and even if a lot of them are not super exciting, that's kind of the plight with most bullpens: is that you're 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 trying to find guys who you can project uh, higher than they probably look like on paper. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as long as you have all these uh, potential slots you can fill in, I mean, there's a there's a lot of things the team can do. And remember, we have the CBA coming up too, and there have been rumors that there could be a. Uh, 26th roster spot with the CBA so uh, that could end up being another bullpen arm when all is said and done. I was actually going to ask you that you, you, you just transitioned without knowing that so shout out to you. I was going to ask you about the CBA, about the CBA because you're obviously more plugged in uh, I think with the league and nationally than I am at this point in the baseball world. I was going to ask you about the lockout talk but uh, anything else I mean that, that's obviously very interesting with the CBA but you know potential uh, having 26 roster spot. Anything else that's uh, sort of jumped out to you with the CBA and uh, should I be worried about a lockout Joe? I guess you're, you're my go-to guy on this if I, if I should be terrified or not. There's not going to be a lockout. They're talking out their asses. That's what I that's thought. Just, that's <laughs> something that's just it's not in the best interest of either sides. It's it would not make sense for there to be a lockout. There's there's not going to be a lockout. I mean that's that's just the owners trying to get the players back to the table and for them to uh, have something happen to spur on the negotiations. You don't have to worry about that. The CBA itself right now is kind of a mystery because the two major issues aside from the possible expansion of the rosters, are the international draft and free agency compensation. The owners really want an international draft, which, I mean, it would probably help the Braves after their spending spree this past year. I assume an international draft would mean that the Braves won't be uh, under the uh, spending punishment guidelines for the next two years if it was instituted. I mean, that would obviously be helpful. would let the team kind of uh, have access to those top players after being scheduled to miss out on those guys. But in the long term, it's, I think it's a terrible idea that's really just going to uh, kind of push talent to teams that don't know what they're doing with it. And, and uh, it, it might be a giant mess depending on how, it, uh, how it's implemented by the league. 
And as for free agency comp, I mean, this Braves team is not really a team that has been – they haven't really been concerned with the big-name free agents and signing guys that were required draft pick compensation. And they really haven't had the free agents that would get the team compensation. So in the grand scheme of things, I don't think this really hurts or affects the team at all. But – but – it would do. Uh, it would help teams like the Nationals. I think you can say because they're a team that they're not afraid to give up draft picks and throw around big money. And playing in this NL East, I mean, they are the class of the division. And any little advantage they get, I think, hurts the Braves long term. And the same thing goes for the Phillies. They're another team with tons of money. They don't need to uh, sign the free agents right now because they're still in this rebuilding mode. But uh, if they're able to sign free agents without having to give up draft picks, that would hurt the Braves. For sure. I mean, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about CBA stuff. But uh, when I had you on, I wanted, definitely want to get that in just because you're definitely more plugged in on it than I am. And there's always, always little intricacies. I'm a big basketball guy. I kind of know the basketball CBA like the back of my hand because it's just kind of part of the gig. But at the same time, baseball is, I think, you, uh, just because of all the different layers, it's more complicated than anything else. Um, and uh, there's definitely stuff to look at, cause especially the, you know something as easy as, as a 26 roster spot could be something that uh, affects a lot of teams and how they operate because of the it's either an extra bullpen arm or an extra bench guy. And that's something that even casual fans could sort of look at and see, oh, look, another guy's on the team. So uh, people will be interested to see how that goes. But it uh, seems like there'll be baseball, which is kind of uh, all that matters for most people. Give, give me baseball to watch. And, that, and everybody. Everything else will work itself out. Yeah, I mean, all the off-the-field stuff, I mean, the casual fan really doesn't care about the international draft or uh, draft pick comp or anything like that. All they care about is that the teams will be on the field come April 5th or whatever opening day is this year playing, and the season won't be interrupted. That, that's all they really care about. For sure. Uh, well, but Joe, before I let you get out of here, I have to ask you the questions that I've been asking everybody in the last couple of weeks. That they've sort of become a running part of the show. Uh, number one, who are your untouchable prospects in the Brave system? Because I've had some fun making fun of the notion of untouchable prospects. But um, given that, to the extent that, 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 that the concept actually exists, uh, give me two or three, four guys that you would say are untouchable, if that many, and uh, make fun of it if you'd like, just because I always do. I'm going to spin this question on its head. The only player in the organization I would not trade is Dansby Swanson. Everyone else would be up for grabs in the right deal in one frame or another. And you mean exa- uh, that, that includes Freddie Freeman and Julio Tehran, right? Oh, of course. There because if a team is going to offer me five, six, seven top quality prospects for a guy like Freeman or Tehran, I mean, you have to do it, right? And with all the pitching depth coming through the system, I don't think losing Tehran would be some kind of massive blow long term. And as for Freeman, I mean, he's the franchise and all that. He's coming off the best season of his career, one of the best offensive seasons we've seen from a Braves hitter in God knows how many years. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's a valuable asset. And if you can turn a valuable asset into three or four less valuable assets that cumulatively surpass his value, I mean, that's something you at least have to consider. Now, the reason I have Swanson as the lone untouchable guy is because I really can't see a situation in which the Braves would trade him. He has value at the major league level right now, but he also has value as a prospect. So would you include him as the main piece in a trade for a guy like Chris Sale, 
but then you'd have to look elsewhere to fill a hole at shortstop? Or would you use Swanson as major league trade bait and try to get a bunch of prospects for him, even though they'd be further away from the majors and you'd be creating a hole at a position where you need a guy like him and he's young enough where I really don't know what fair market value is for him because he doesn't have that much major league experience. It just doesn't make sense to trade Swanson, whereas with anyone else in the entire organization, you can at least make an argument to me that I would understand for trading them. I'm with you on all of this, by the way. I think we both know that they're not going to trade Freeman uh, or Tehran because they want to compete this year, especially year one of the ballpark, all that stuff. But if, 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 if that restriction is not in place like I think it is, then yeah. Everybody's up for trade, and that's kind of what I've always said about untouchables is because there's really not anybody that's untouchable. Your point about Swanson, though, is valid that I think there's just no way they would ever do it um, short of Mike Trout being available um, or something crazy like that. Um, they're just not going to do it for, you know, there's PR aspects. There's all these different things. Uh, his, his, uh, his upside value plus his major league value, all those things that you, that you laid out there is the reason why he won't get traded. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you all the way on all of that. I was going to ask you, I think I asked Carlos this the other day, um, if the White Sox called and said, here, we'll trade you Chris Sale for Dansby Swanson, and that's all, do you do it? Wow. that's It's one of those weird ones because uh, I think we all know that Sale is a much better player, but he's also a pitcher, which is more volatile. Uh, it, it, has all the, it has all the makings of a, weird, of a weird thing. So I don't know. I think your reaction is kind of what everybody says, but I'm interested to, think, to see if you uh, – it wasn't a quick no at least, right? The fact that I just said I wouldn't trade Swanson for anybody, and then you just throw this ridiculous Swanson for sale thing at <laughs> kind of my mind blown. I probably actually would do that trade if I were the Braves, just because, I mean, to get a guy like Sale with just giving up one player, I, I mean, that is such a huge boost to the team that I think you would have to do it. I, my hot take is I would not do it only because sale is a pitcher and I am just team. Don't invest too much in a pitcher like that. I don't know if, if the equivalent player was a position player, I would do the trade. If you, if you told me you had, you had, you had this like five win position player for three years at the same money, I would do it. Sale is just pitchers. Pitching scares me too much. I just I wouldn't pull a trigger on that. But if it was, I'm trying to think of who who would be a comparable position player to say like, pick your best third baseman and tell me that he's uh, has the same contract as Chris Sale. I, w- I would do it. Josh Donaldson two years ago. How about sure? That? Yeah, then I would do it. But for, I would for totally a pitcher, trade Josh Donaldson for uh, Sean Nolan, Kendall Graveman, oh. Barreto, and Brett Laurie. I would do that. Ha- what happened with that? I don't. I mean, we're, we're far afield here, but what in the world happened there? I still don't know. I, I mean, I think Billy Bean just wanted to blow that up as quick as he could and move on to the next thing. I think he might have thought Donaldson peaked because I, I think I remember him slowing down a bit in the second half. <laughs> he was betting on upside with Laurie. Uh, Nolan and Graveman are just kind of guys and Barreto's years upon years away. So, but he... Even then, the so offer bad. seemed so light. Yeah, and now knowing what we know about Donaldson and all the other players, it looks even lighter, which just blows my mind. Your your biggest fear uh, as as a front office, or at least as a fan of a of a team, 
is to have to be on the wrong side of one of those that like everyone on day one is like that's awful, which happened with Donaldson. It happened with the with the, with the Dave Stewart Dansby trade. Everyone in baseball that you trust was like, um, what are you doing, Diamondbacks? And it was the same thing with Oakland that trade with Donaldson. It was like universal, like nope, that's not enough, not even close. It's just not. <laughs> I'm trying to think what that trade's going to be this year because from what we've seen so far, I mean, it, it's been kind of a slow trade. Season. It's going it's to be Chris Sale for Sean Newcomb and Lucas Sims and Austin Riley. Well, it's it's not going to be a guy like Chris Sale. I think it's going to be kind of like a middle of the road guy that a team either gives up way too much for, or you're just looking like wait. They got like this 4A player, like the Mark Trumbo trade last year, where it's like, wait, Steve Clevenger straight up? That's it? <laughs> and then he hits and then he hits like 107 home runs. Oh yeah, incredible. Insane. And remember, like three or four months before that, Dave Stewart traded Trumbo to the uh, Mariners for a package that wasn't half bad in hindsight. Yeah, I don't you know, trades are weird, man. There's always it only takes one uh, individual. I'll, I'll set for myself one individual to make the uh, make the crazy trade that swings the balance, and that kind of stuff does happen. So I definitely had to ask you about the untouchable prospects. The other one uh, question I have asked everybody uh, that's been on the last couple of weeks is uh, if nothing else happened this season, you know, nothing major, I should say. Obviously, they have to round a roster. What kind of range are you talking about in terms of win a win projection for this team right now as currently constructed? Uh, with I guess now with Rodriguez, with, with the two veteran pitchers that they added, are we looking at a 70-win team, looking at an 80-win team? Uh, where, where, where are you at here? Obviously, it, it, it can be a range because I know how these things go, but uh, where, how are you feeling about the current product? Well, last year they won 68, and that was with only a month and a half of Swanson and two months of Kemp and – I really? <laughs> and a full year of Pierzynski behind the plate and uh, a rotation that was really just Tehran and stuff. I mean, I think this team right now, I think the baseline is around 78 wins. And I think if absolutely everything broke right for them, they could win about maybe 85 or 86. Oh, you're higher than I am. I'm surprised. I think it's around. I think that they're going to finish around 500 as constructed right now. But a lot of that also depends on what happens in the rest of the division, because the Mets are kind of a mess right now. The Nationals still look like a juggernaut that's going to win the division, running away. The Marlins have their own issues. The Phillies have their own issues. If none of those teams substantially improve, I. I could see a world where the Braves are fighting for second place 15 games back, but still second place. I could see that happening. Yeah, I think that that's all reasonable. I think your baseline is a little higher than I am at this point, but it's definitely not crazy, especially if you get just, you know, acceptable production from the rest of the rotation outside of Julio. And I think, you know, Fulton might be pretty good this year. But uh, the this, this step up from with, with those two veterans that you imagine, even if they're just competent-ish, um, from what the Braves got out of the rotation a lot last year, plus as we just said, you know, the catcher with Brzezinski and Ibar for three months at shortstop, uh, full season of Swanson and Kemp, all those things. There's reason to be optimistic. I think you know, getting to 80 would be huge for you know, as currently instructed. I think that that'd be a very successful season to be 500 ish. Um, but you know, all that's gonna be possible. It's 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 definitely a more interesting team than it was. Uh, I almost said 12 months ago, even you know, seven months ago. 
So, yeah, that, that's all we can ask for, right? And I will also say that the Braves seem to be doing a good job at almost identifying the players they want to build around for the future. Whereas last year, I mean, it was Freeman and maybe Tehran because there were trade rumors about him every day. Nowadays, this year, you have Freeman, you have Tehran, you have Swanson. Even to a lesser extent, you have Inciarte and Kemp as guys. They're kind of throwing out with the marketing blitz. I, I think that'll help, too, because, I mean, once you have some like some kind of defined core that you're going with, you know what you need to build around instead of trying to fill the holes in six, seven, eight positions. Yeah, there's definitely a coherent-looking uh, product, which is a nice change from where things were uh, previously. Uh, well, Joe, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, I definitely without uh, I will I will not let you get out of here without plugging your own stuff. So tell people where they can find you and your work and all those things on Twitter and anywhere else you want to plug. Thanks for having me, Brad. Really appreciate it. You can follow me on the Twitters at Joe underscore TOC and find my writing at both awfulannouncing.com and thecomeback.com. And happy first birthday to the comeback. It has been a fantastic year. Oh, is it is it is it today? It is. I want to say this Tuesday. Very nice. I didn't know that. that well, that seems like it's uh, a quick year. Wednesday. Wednesday, but yeah, it's it's been a long, great year, and uh, hopefully, many more come in the future. Joe's a busy man, but yeah, go read those things. That's definitely uh, both those websites are are stops that I make on a daily basis. So I'm encouraging I'm encouraging you guys to do that as well. And uh, Joe's baseball writing, both Braves and otherwise. Uh, if you're only baseball people, there's plenty of that as well from Joe. So I appreciate you coming on, man. We'll have to do it again uh, soon. Once uh, maybe maybe even before the season, but if not during the season, we'll have to have you jump back on. I appreciate you having me, Brad. Whenever you want me on, I am available. Thank you, sir. As for everybody else, uh, please stay tuned. We'll have another podcast for you next week. If you're not subscribed already, uh, please do that on iTunes or uh, otherwise we're hosted on SoundCloud or TalkingChop.com where you can find our writing and uh, all the stuff that we want you to talk about with the Atlanta Braves. So uh, come back next week and we'll see you then.